Well, good morning. If I have not met you yet, my name is James Lenhoff. I am uh, one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, I spend most of my time teaching over at the Westchester campus, but whenever I get a chance to come back here, it feels like coming home. I just see all these amazing faces. I love all these great relationships I've had forever. It's just great to be back with you. Just a quick update. Um, Westchester is thriving. That campus is amazing. The community is beautiful. We have taken this DNA of authenticity and vulnerability and connectedness, and we have transplanted it into that Westchester space. And we are now at a place where we're having ushers that are having to kind of help people find seats. And so it's filling out, and it's just amazing to see it grow. So thank you. Thank you for your, yeah. Thank you most of all for your yes. I mean, we went to the elders of this amazing community and said, hey, can we, and they said yes. And what about yes? It's just this constant go, keep going. And it's just been amazing to be empowered that way. So uh, I know a lot of you know me, and so you know that I grew up in a really interesting time called the 80s. Uh, I grew up in a season, many of you probably were similar, where we had jams pants and Pacific, Ocean Pacific t-shirts, tight rolled jeans, whatever that was about, uh, big bangs, really big bangs, uh, hyper color, neon, uh, and that was kind of my childhood. Uh, I actually asked my parents to go ahead and pull a picture of the worst outfit they could find me. It's not that bad, actually. I think, I think this is God's kindness and protection for me because I know there are pictures that are awful. Uh, do you guys remember the King's Island hats that had tails? Anybody remember those? I had a collection of those things. So the fact that they couldn't find that, I think, was God protecting me from public humiliation. But as I entered into junior high, we had this interesting transition that happened in our culture. We went from big and bright and poofy to dark and flannel and angsty, right? And that happened for me as I was entering into a season where I felt most uncomfortable in my own skin and most desperate to be accepted and to belong somewhere. I wanted to just feel like I fit in and I would do whatever it took to fit in. And we went dark. My friends all went dark. We were listening to bands like The Suicidal Tendencies and Megadeth. And the ticket to be part of that community was to have a sense of hopelessness and self-loathing and just general misery. That was ultimately what made you acceptable. And if you know me, you know that I am not those things. I struggled to fit in because I had to kind of put on an act. And I remember one night trying so hard to fit in that I decided that I was gonna prove how hopeless and self-loathing I actually was by cutting my wrists. And so I started cutting into my wrists and I called the girl who was in charge of this group. And I told her what I was doing. I'm gonna slice my wrist, this is it. This is the night, I'm gonna do it. And I think, I, I was not intending to kill myself and I praise Jesus that I did not because I absolutely could have accidentally gone too deep. But I was reaching out and I think my hope, if I'm honest, was that we would both break character for a second. That we would both meet as humans and she would say, oh no, 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 don't do that. Don't throw your life away. You're too precious. Please, stop. That's not what she said. She said, uh, oh, that's cool. Go ahead, keep going. But just know, like, when you cut, you want to cut lengthwise because it's harder to stop the bleeding. Yeah. That's how I felt, too. Are you kidding me? That's your answer? 
I, just, I was rocked. It hit me like a brick to the face and I was just shaken. I couldn't believe that that's how little she actually cared about me. And so I stopped what I was doing, thankfully. I'm actually grateful that that's what she said because it shook me out of all of it. It got me out of that doldrum and that hopelessness. And so I get up, I stop cutting, I go into the bathroom to clean myself off and I will never forget my sister, two years older than me, walking into the bathroom. This is a human being that I fought with every day of my life. And when she saw those cuts, she started weeping uncontrollably. And my parents, when they saw them, they were terrified of losing me because that is actually what it looks like to belong. I'd been striving to fit in, but all the while what I was trying to do was manufacture belonging. We think of fitting in and belonging as the same thing, but they are wildly different. Belonging is a deep craving that God placed in every one of our hearts for a reason, but fitting in is what we do to try to falsely manufacture the experience that we're craving so deeply. This morning, we're kicking off the next step in our series. If you've been with us, we started with this conversation around what it looks like to be like Jesus, and we've been reading through the Gospels together in our reading plan, and it's gonna take us all the way up to Easter. And so we started with this be like Jesus. What does it look like to have a vertical relationship, to sit in stillness and silence and solitude, to seek out deep connection with the Father? Now we're stepping in to live like Jesus, what does it look like for us as a collective body of believers to love each other well, to live in thriving, deep relationship? And then we're going to end by talking about what it looks like to love like Jesus, to go to the missing and love the marginalized, to go to the outsider and invite them in to that sense of belonging that we all get to feel in community together. And that's going to take us all the way up to Easter. And so as I was thinking about this talk... One of the things that stuck out to me that I find fascinating is even though we talked about, Cody shared with us this idea that Jesus sought intentional solitude. He would go to the desolate places. But the truth is, other than that, those times, he was actually very rarely alone. He spent his life in deep, ongoing, intimate relationship. He surrounded himself with his community, he did life with them. When Jesus goes and calls his disciples, he never says, worship me. He says, follow me, come with me. There's this invitation into an experience of belonging. He exudes belonging. We see scene after scene of him reclining at table in the gospels. Now, if you're anything like me, when I would read that phrase, reclining at table, I thought, that's just some leftover old English phrase, right? The disciples weren't reclining at table. They were sitting upright with their notebooks ready to write down anything that Jesus said. Like studious disciples, they would never actually feel comfortable enough to lay down. But that's actually exactly what it means. Reclining at table looks like this. This is the Roman practice of reclining at table people would gather and lay down in the most intimate, the most safe and secure, connected way that they could as they shared a meal together. It's a beautiful, relaxed, connected setting. John's account of the Last Supper gives us a really sweet 
illustration of just how beautiful this was. John says in chapter 13, as he's talking about that Last Supper, it says, lying back on Jesus' chest was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. I know this image of a man lying back on another man's chest makes our culture of self-sufficient, high-five, handshake kind of distance really uncomfortable. And I just want to tell you, I think that's a tragedy. I think this is what it should feel like. I had to find a, a version of the scriptures that would give us that illustration. That verse was from the NASB. The ESV says that John was sitting by his side with a footnote that says, in Jesus's bosom. We're so uncomfortable with that kind of vulnerability and connectedness that we have to footnote it. But I honestly think that the approach of a formal student sitting upright with our notebooks out feels a whole lot more like fitting in. Laying back on his chest feels like belonging. That is what Jesus is always about. He is always about belonging. And we have a belonging crisis in this country. There's a study that they've done every several years that they call the belonging barometer. And last year's study was even worse than the time before, where they're asking people, do you feel a sense of non-belonging? And the way they define that is either that they are unsure of their belonging in a certain context, or that they feel they are actively being excluded. That is all lumped in to an expression of non-belonging. And the data is terrifying. 64% of the respondents reported non-belonging in the workplace. 68% reported non-belonging in our country. And 74% reported non-belonging in their local community. This is devastating. God has designed us to experience belonging. It's part of the image that he placed in each and every one of us. The Trinity is one of my favorite things to sit and ponder because it is such a beautiful understanding of eternal belonging. This never-ending, interconnected depth of relationship that God has always been experiencing and always will experience. It's what Rohr calls the divine dance. And when Jesus is inviting us into discipleship, he's inviting us to join the dance. Come feel what this feels like, of never-ending, eternal belonging. It's beautiful. But the truth is that that call is to a sense of vulnerability and dependence and authenticity that our culture does not reward. Our culture rewards things like winning and self-sufficiency and fitting in. But fitting in is not belonging, it is its opposite. Fitting in is, is being what we are not in order to be acceptable by other people. It's about hiding our true self from everyone. It's showing up in a way that, quite frankly, is exhausting to maintain. It's doing all these things in order to appease the judgment of people that we know, if they actually knew us, would judge the snot out of us would reject us outright. So we're constantly trying to keep everybody happy, and I think it is the air we breathe now. Social media is effectively asking people like me, except literally like me, accept me, tell me I'm okay, tell me I'm good enough. 
We scramble all over God's green earth, bringing our kids to all the most elite versions of competition in sports teams so that through them, we can feel like we're acceptable because they are achieving and accomplishing. The same with academics. Be the best of the best of the best of the highest achievers so that we all can feel like we're acceptable, like we fit in. Our political affiliations, where we effectively say, hey, I I probably recognize that these problems are more complicated than we're making them sound. There's probably more to it than just this simple idea, but we can't say that because we'd be rejected. We don't belong. We won't fit in. And the Big C Church has been notorious for this, right? I mean, <laughs> we, we drive to church arguing the whole time, yelling, screaming, having all kinds of hard relational tension. And then as soon as we park that car, we put our bright, shiny, happy face on and walk in the door and say, we got it all together. That was never the point. That was actually the opposite of what Jesus was inviting all of us into. This idea of fitting in is actually what Jesus rebuked most strongly. Jesus was living in a context that's very similar to ours. He was surrounded on all sides with pressures to fit in. All the Jewish people were. The Jewish leaders of the day, the Pharisees, were deciding who was in and out. They would point their finger and say, you did it wrong. You broke the rules. You tripped the wire. You're out. There was this constant sense of being just one mistake away from rejection. And that's the scene in which Jesus is reclining at table. It says this in Matthew 9. As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? He's doing it wrong. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a, phys- of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Think about this scene. The sinners and the tax collectors weren't just sitting there upright with their notebooks out. They weren't begging for Jesus to maybe give them a break. They were laying down with everybody else. They were reclining with Jesus and his disciples because they felt safe. They felt welcomed. They felt the sense of belonging. And what Jesus is telling the Pharisees is, hey, I didn't come to call these people into changing them, guilting them, shaming them, telling them they're terrible, they're doing it wrong. I called them into a relationship of belonging that will transform them. And he's calling us to the same. Now, you may say, as I'm sharing this illustration, oh, I thought we were talking about the in part of it, like the the relationship here, not the out, the sinners. Those guys, they're they're out there. Those people, that's, that's a different conversation, right? There is not an aspect of those people that is not in this person. And until we recognize that, we're left only to point fingers with the Pharisees and say who's in and who's out. We are the sinners that get to recline at table and lay our head back on Jesus and feel safe and secure in our belonging. Thank you. (laughs) We have got to recognize this truth. We keep using these categories and these labels and putting them on everybody else as well as on ourselves, but we are so much more 
than those categories. Leo Tolstoy has this great quote. He says, one of the commonest and most generally accepted delusions is that every man can be qualified in some particular way. Said to be kind, wicked, stupid, energetic, apathetic, and so on. People are not like that. We may say of a man that he is more often kind than cruel, more often wise than stupid, more often energetic than apathetic or vice versa, but it could never be true to say of one man that he is kind or wise and of another that he is wicked or stupid. Yet we are always classifying mankind in this way, and it is wrong. Human beings are like rivers. The water, in one and, the water is one and the same in all of them, but every river is narrow in some places, flows swifter in others. Here it is broad, there it is still or clear or cold or muddy or warm. It's the same with men. Every man bears within him the germs of every human quality and now manifests one and now another and frequently is quite unlike himself while still remaining the same man. I love this quote, and particularly in the context of the body of Christ. We, in Jesus, have the water of life flowing in us, but it is only in the context of belonging that I am actually willing to let people see the parts of me that are shallow, or the parts of me that have grown cold, and invite them to help me grow. See, the difference between fitting in and belonging is growth. I can honestly tell you, there has never been a single season in my life where I have been fighting to fit in and those efforts resulted in growth. They always result in loss. They have to. In order to fit in, we lose our identity. We lose our confidence. We lose our character because we cut corners and shape ourselves into what's acceptable. We lose our individuality. Fitting in always ends with asking us to hide ourselves and act the part. Belonging, on the other hand, belonging is the path to growth. True belonging doesn't just allow us to be vulnerable and authentic, it requires us to. When we are fully known and loved, we are able to recline at table in the safety of intimate relationships and we allow people to see the parts of our river that aren't flowing. It doesn't mean that we ignore truth or that we allow stagnation. It actually means the opposite. We encourage the growth because we see them. We see the river of life. We see it in them and we say, oh, there's so much more. Let's follow Jesus closer together. Jesus always assumed that there would be progress made. He calls them to follow, move, come with, let's go. Don't sit there, don't sit still. But when we do come to times of rest, we lay our head on his chest because that's what it looks like to belong. We were never meant to do this alone. We were never meant to grow by ourselves. In fact, I don't think you can. I think the only thing that grows in isolation is darkness. We need each other. And we need to be willing to need each other. We need to be willing to step into vulnerable relationships that feel risky, but actually are the only path to maturity. So what does this mean? What have I been, what am I trying to get to? I've been wrestling this thing. I've been thinking about like, ah, how do I live this way? How do we step into this? 
And I've been asking myself some pretty tough questions. One is, am I prioritizing relationships of belonging over fitting in? If we look at our calendars together, what would we see? If I'm prioritizing striving and and stepping on people's throats to grow in my work life and, and get to the next echelon, the next level of acceptability, am I fitting in? Is there any sense of belonging there? If I'm running all over the place, taking my kids to every event that is under the sun in order for me to feel like I did right by them and they are acceptable, is that belonging? Are we fitting in? We are so overcommitted in our culture that we don't have time to lay on Jesus' chest in community with each other and talk about where our rivers have grown cold and shallow. We need to prioritize it. As I think about this idea of belonging, I do believe that the body of Christ is the only place that true belonging can happen. And as I say that, I just want to say I acknowledge that in this room there are so many wounds from the Big C Church asking you to fit in. I see you, and I apologize on behalf of the church. The Big C Church has done a lot of damage in that area. But I want this place, we all want this place, this community, to be a place of deep, intimate connection of belonging and safety and confidence so that we actually move forward in our pursuit of Jesus. Who knows me? Really, truly knows me. By the way, we are having a lot of leadership issues in the Big C Church, a lot of people falling. Have you noticed? Maybe they're not belonging. Maybe they're fitting in and they have to hide, they have to shrink. No one actually knows the parts of their river that are shallow and cold because they're not letting them see it. We gotta let everybody see it. We gotta get into these conversations. It's the only path to growth. And last question I've been challenging myself with is who am I pointing to and rejecting? The disciples weren't immune to this. In Mark 9, which we'll read in a couple of days in the reading plan, it says, John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. Who am I pointing to and saying they don't fit in, they don't belong, they're not welcome? I want us to recognize we are in a season where that is going to be the constant pressure. We're stepping into a political environment that will force us, if we're not careful, to pick a side and lob hand grenades at the other side. And that is happening in the walls of the church, inside the body of Christ, we're destroying each other. It's awful. It's the thing Jesus rebuked most strongly and we're doing it all the time because we're just getting sucked into it. And so where can we start to draw some lines and say no longer will the church be known for its division and its schisms? That is our history. Constant points of division and disagreement and then split after split after split. The body is fragmented. What would it look like for us to start to be known and be famous for our safety, our belonging, our sense of deep connection and inviting others to join us 
in that divine dance. Look, I know right now, as we kind of start to transition and close out, you guys are probably looking at the clock and saying, man, I could get out of here early. Let's do Let's go grab the kids and we'll hit the car and we'll, we'll do the thing. Look, we don't form experiences of belonging and relational connection sitting in rows and listening to somebody lecture you. And I recognize I say that while you're sitting in rows and I'm lecturing you, okay? I get it. It's weird. This is not the main course. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. I love it. But the truth is the main course is our connection with each other in the body. The, the main course is our ability to see each other and call each other to more, to be a safe place for us to acknowledge, hey, on the way over, I had a horrible fight with my wife. We are in serious trouble. This is a place we should be able to say that kind of stuff, not hide it. And we don't do that while you're sitting here listening to me. We do that by talking to each other. And so I wanna encourage you, I know, there's lots of things waiting for you out there. Don't go. Stay in connection see each other, meet each other, be in belonging, lay on the chest of Jesus together. Let's recline at table. Let me pray for us and we'll transition to the next section. Father, oh, this is hard. This is scary. This is intimate and vulnerable. And Lord, you love it. You want us to be a place of all of those things. Would you unlock for us the courage to step more deeply into vulnerability and authenticity, would you give us the ability to lay on your chest, Jesus, to know that we are a sinner that gets to recline at a table because of the price you paid, and we get to see each other, we get to recognize the river of life flowing through us. Lord, would you give us eyes to truly see and a safety to be truly known? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.